Um, but with that being said, and with that being said, with that being said, I am. Now, with that being said, hey, welcome back to episode two of And With That Being Said, our Five is One podcast. It's great to have my co host, Gerald Foster. How's it going, guys? Look, we even got hats now. We're, we're trying to show up and show out. Hey, there's plenty of merch on there. You guys get on the website, fiveisone.com, go to the shop, get you some gear. Um, we got the flat bill option that uh, that looks a little bit better on Gerald than it does on me. But um, we'll we'll we got plenty of uh, t-shirts, uh, hoodies. We got some beanies because I know it's getting a little bit cold out there. But uh, we're excited to have our second podcast um, with. And that being said, uh, there's been a lot going on with Five Is One these days. Um, there's been during the holidays. I was doing some travel and seeing family. And had a number of high school coaches reach out to me and were able to put on a training session down in, in California. And it looks like there might be um, some expansion headed out to the uh, to the Sunshine State out there in Cali. And uh, Gerald, what, what's going on here in Colorado? Colorado, we're moving and grooving, right? We got uh, guys from middle schoolers, high schoolers, all the way up to college. So uh, if you have any, um, if you have any, Anyone that wants to work, wants to learn, wants to to find themselves to be a better offensive lineman, uh, even if you're a D lineman and you want to learn a little bit about being a, a O lineman, just so you can, you know, catch a couple of tidbits that you might be able to take with you. Uh, five is one is definitely the move. Uh, we are excited out in Colorado. It's going to be a lot of fun coming into this next year. So yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a good time. Well, we got big plans. It's been a great start. The first podcast went great uh, last time expansion and, and training. I think uh, California is about to take off in the new year. And then I'm heading down to Texas uh, to start our XFL season with the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. It's coaching with Coach Bob Stoops. And the Texas segue is perfect because our guest today is the one and only uh, Duke Mannyweather. Duke is a uh, close friend of mine. We've worked together. Um, he is a trainer um, coach, ex-athlete that is bringing so much to the game at all different levels on offensive line play from nutrition, training, rehab, uh, scheme, understanding, evaluation. He's growing the game in so many different ways. So we're excited to have uh, for our second podcast. And with that being said, Duke Manningweather on the show today. Hey guys, welcome to the first quarter of, and with that being said, for episode two, um, great to have Gerald Foster back with us again. What's up? What's up, people? <laughs> we, uh, I'm glad we coordinated the lids today. It's looking good. And, uh, but we're, we're going to get right into the special guest. Uh, this is really a big time, um, uh, opportunity for us to be able to talk ball, talk about offensive line play. And there's nobody really better. Uh, I think that represents kind of the, the mentality and the training component and everything that goes into offensive line play, um, even before it gets on the field, than Duke Mannyweather. Duke is uh, the pride of Humboldt State, 
Uh, <laughs> we won't mention and, that school anymore. <laughs> that, that school, that school up there in the redwoods that, that used to play some ball, but Man. he, he has taken, uh, he has taken his knowledge of the game as a player, as a coach, but as a trainer. And Gerald, I think it's great that we get him on here because Duke and I have known each other a couple of years to get a little chance to talk some ball. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited. Uh, he, he said he enjoyed our first podcast. That was that was good. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't know exactly what to, to take from, you know, all of what we put together. It was a little nerve wracking, but I'm happy to hear good things. And we're just going to keep moving forward. Happy that you're here, Duke. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here and uh, with any and everything, let it flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> that's probably that's, the best thing we got. <laughs> that's that's what we're going to do today. And this thing, this, you know, you got a game plan, but all of a sudden, as soon as you hit the field, when when it all all the stuff hits the fan, you got to be ready to adapt and adjust. And I think Duke is one of those guys that um, has been around some of the best in the business. So, Duke, like we met each other just in kind of by happenstance, just through like conventions and going to clinics yeah. and stuff like that. And I think we saw the game really similar. And we first connected at uh, the Nike opening and with those camps. I don't know. Talk to me about kind of like your story and how we got to the point where we met, I guess. I'll, I'll give yeah. you the mic and, and you tell us a little bit about how you got to that point and where you are now. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, we met Years before we even started uh, with the, the 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 Nike opening, um, at like you said, some of the conventions, and then um, on the recruiting trail, you know, I saw certain players, you know, kind of, hey, got this guy, or hey, did you see this guy? Um, even when I was at Humboldt, so we knew of each other. Um, I believe it may have been the convention in Charlotte, and I don't remember what year that was, where we actually talked and had a conversation um, that was more than just uh, you know texting or. Uh, anything past uh, recruiting. But um, I believe in, was it 2016, maybe 2016, um, you were on the Nike opening tour. Um, and I think, I think at that time you were leaving um, responsibility to go up to Toronto and just in conversation and in passing, like you said, we saw the game similar. I think it was important for you to, um, not so much replicate yourself, but be able to find somebody that you know that you can trust um, in terms of being able to plug in. And that's pretty much what brought me into the fold uh, on the, on the, on the Nike tour with the, with the opening. And it was natural synergy. I think we did two or three together before you had to skedaddle. Um, it was really great yin and yang, um, but a, a lot of similarities in terms of just ground up fundamentals, understanding that, uh, you know, our stance is very important, understanding that it's all about the feet and all about, you know, first meaningful contact and things of that nature. So we were speaking the same language from the get go. Um, and that's really what connected us. And it really we haven't looked looked back since, which is which is really cool. Um, you know, prior to that, you, you were kind of alluding to my background. I was a undersized offensive lineman at Humboldt State University, um, which that'll be the last time I mention it. Uh, played the line there. <laughs> um, was fortunate enough to have a brief stint in the Arena Football League, but then went right back up behind the Redwood Curtain after I found out how good I wasn't. Um, you know, professional football at any level just wasn't in my cards. Um, I was a guy that had always battled 
um, you know, genetic, so to speak. Um, but I was always a guy that was a student of the game and I understood my control. That was going to be how hard I worked, how hard I prepared um, in terms of the strength part, in terms of the technique part, and then just knowing what the hell I was supposed to do. Um, coaches could trust me. So that was important. Uh, but that essentially set me up during my career to be a natural leader, a natural coach on the field, which segued me into life after being a football player, um, which saw me taking uh, uh, almost immediately the offensive line and run game coordinator position and also uh, strength and conditioning uh, job at College of the Redwoods College. College of the Redwoods, about 30 minutes south of my alma mater. So I would spend the mornings um, at that school that we will not mention as an assistant strength and conditioning coach under Drew Peterson, the legend. And then in the afternoons, I would uh, skedaddle down to College of the Redwoods where I wore my, my actual football hat. And I did that for three years before I ended up taking a full-time D-line coaching job at um, the school that we will not mention. Um, and so I wore both hats there where I was a D-line coach for three years and also assistant strength and conditioning coach. Um, Wait a minute, you were on the dark side? I was, and it made you me were. so it made <laughs> me so much better as an offensive line coach. Um, not only did it make me better as an offensive line coach, it made my D lineman better um, in terms of showing even the staff a global approach to what was like. Hey, this is what they're trying to do right now. You know, this is how you beat this. This is what we all had issues with when a D lineman did X, Y, Z. So it was a different perspective. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think I took that group from the first year um, from around 20 sacks, the entire unit. I think we had somewhere around 39 or 40. Um, and so just in one off season with just the, the global big picture uh, situation and switching over, um, you know, where there's some value there, but ended up getting into the private sector after that. And then that's what kind of brought us uh, together uh, on the tour. And we had some really great times. Well, we, we, uh, I tell you what was neat about working with the Nike opening and things have kind of slowed down with COVID and it's harder to do all the camps, but I know when we were going, it was great to be able to see the top kids in different regions. And so for those that aren't familiar with it, we would take kids, uh, they would be invited based on, you know, kind of what their ranking was, or maybe coming from a high profile school, they would get an invitation. And really the top kids would, would rise to that level, um, show themselves. And it wasn't just the big kid. And maybe you and I saw the guy that maybe had the higher ceiling that wasn't, you know, maybe the kid's a little undersized. You can tell he's about to hit a growth spurt. He's a super smart kid. Yeah. He's aggressive. He's physical. All those things that you can see, but you're not in pads. And so you, there's so much more into finding good players. And that's where I think you and I kind of were like, yep, that guy, we, we see the things that he's going to grow into. And uh, it sounds like hopefully the opening is going to restart and get things going again. So we'll see if that thing cranks back up. But you're also involved in something that's probably the highest level, Gerald, oh, yeah. like in college mm. football. I mean, Duke, you got you got your hands in something, the voting <laughs> on something that's pretty special out there uh, right now, Gerald. I mean, I know you you told me before. You had a little bone to pick with Duke about about this this college football award or something. Now I'm gonna say that Nebraska, sure, 
we're not doing as good as we used to, but I, I, I just want, hopefully after this, uh, this, this uh, friendship that we're building today, that maybe we start looking at Nebraska for the Joe Moore award uh, for the people that don't know what that award is. It's for the toughest, um, most cohesive uh, unit when it comes to the offensive line, they give this word out um, each year for the last two years, because we got a Michigan guy that, you know, uh, he's behind the scenes right now. He, he would definitely want me to say Michigan's one of the last two. Uh, but just talking about the Joe Moore award, what, uh, what does it mean to you and, uh, being a part of it? Uh, what, what, what exactly have you uh, been able to, to get from it, being able to see all these different players? Absolutely. So the Joe Moore award is, there's nothing like it in college football. It's probably the best award in college football because it doesn't go to an individual. It doesn't go to an individual and it is earned. It's not given. It is absolutely earned by five, six, sometimes even seven guys. And the, the key to this thing that we all love that are on the Joe Moore committee is that Joe, first of all, let's, let's back up. Joe Moore was probably um, and still is considered maybe the greatest offensive line coach in college football history yes. in terms of the amount of um, first rounders, second rounders he turned out for his time at University of Pitt and then also at Notre Dame, uh, which I think a lot of people really know him from. Um, guys, that lineage still at Notre Dame today with Harry Keystead, who is now back, and uh, the type of work that he's done um, to develop these guys. And he'll tell you that, like, you know, it's Joe Moore and Joe Moore's essence. And so Joe Moore meant a lot to the Notre Dame program, to the Pitt program, um, to former players, players who went on to have stellar careers in the NFL, um, and just what he did for the game in terms of tough love, coaching hard, coaching fundamentals, and being consistent in that. So um, it was important as a committee, and it is important every year that um, we watch everybody. And, um, you know, Jaime kind of mentioned that we may have seen some of the, the guys with the upside um, that weren't the, the big-time recruits when we were talking about the opening. Um, that same process goes into a lot of times the, the Joe Moore, especially me. I'm assigned to group of five schools where um, I don't look at just all the big names. You know, I'm this year I looked at Liberty. I looked at UCF. I looked at Marshall. I looked at um, a whole was Georgia Southern. Um, there's a lot of schools who end up on the radar, Coastal Carolina, that play great football uh, up front. So, we try to Air Force. I mean, we try to look at those units um, in an in a objective manner. And we have six key criteria. That's toughness, effort, teamwork, consistency, technique, and finishing. Those are the six criteria that we look at and we judge and we look at these offensive line and hold, hold them up to. And then within that process, we ask the simple question, um, is this team winning because of this O-line with this O-line or despite the O-line? And that kind of puts us into clusters in terms of, um, you know, who's going to make the midseason honor row and all those type of things. But those six key criteria are traits that um, 
every lineman, every offensive line coach should really write down and take to heart, you know, because those six key criteria and traits are imperative for any good offensive lineman, especially the technique, consistency, um, toughness, and the and, and, and the finish. Like those are the non-negotiables. We feel like those six are really the non-negotiables. But this award is voted upon um, by former offensive linemen and offensive line coaches. It is big. It is an aggressive award. Um, it takes five to six guys to win it. And it takes about five to six guys to move that son of a gun too. When you get it in person, it's close to seven feet tall. It's probably close to a thousand pounds or so in terms of weight. And um, I've, I've been, it's been an absolute honor to be able to uh, be on the Jamore Award Committee and then also be the trophy guardian, the trophy guardian, so to speak, uh, which means that um, I am responsible for getting the trophy from point A to point B. Um, as we like to say, moving a man from point A to point B against the wheel. And sometimes the big ugly is uh, very spiteful. And so um, I'm in charge of making sure that I'm kind of traveling with the trophy and um, I'm helping with the logistical aspect and setup on it in addition to scouting and, um, you know, looking at all the tape and um, breakdown. So Joe Moore Award is special. Again, it's no other award in college football that's like it. Um, and we just, um, Michigan just earned it for a second year in a row. Um, and again, like I said, I want to reiterate that trophy is earned. It's not given to anybody. Definitely. Definitely. And I, 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 I believe <clears throat> speaking for coach Jaime and myself, uh, I, I think that that award has to be put, you know, at the top, at the pinnacle, uh, being able to, to win, you know, the Remington, uh, the Outland, great trophies uh for the people that win those i i award you um but when you're able to come together and you're able to to depend on the guy to your left and your right and know that he's going to be there the the um resiliency to to not give up find yourself in your mid-season injuries and all the stuff that i feel like every old lineman goes through and you know we just kind of brush it off but uh there are a lot of cats that couldn't do uh what we do um I, I find that word to be special. Um, five is one. Uh, I, I that's think exactly that's, what it is. I was going to say, I think it hits around the nail, right? Uh, that's exactly what it is. It hits it right on that, on the, on the, the hit, the hit on the nail. Um, because again, it really is truly five as one. It's five guys, you know, um, five sets of eyes, 10 eyeballs looking through one lens. And um, it's imperative again, that, um, you know, that those key criteria be met. And it really does take five as one. Um, they're the team within the team. And it's the most thankless position on the football field, Completely. but probably the most skilled position on the football field. And people don't want to give credit for. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I feel like uh, talking about the little bit of injuries that, that I threw in there, uh, the stuff that people don't really, uh, they don't really account when it comes to the O-line. We go through a lot. Right. If you're an old lineman, and you don't have a couple messed up fingers, uh, an elbow that doesn't work when it gets cold, you know, a couple of those things. I, I don't know if you're really playing out there. Um, I, this is going to be a great uh, segment into our second quarter. Uh, second quarter talking about uh, injuries, injury prevention, the things that we went through. Uh, I know for me, I went through a MCL tear uh, coming into my uh, redshirt sophomore year. 
uh, God bless that I was able to get back on the field. Um, it was a lot for me. But after hearing what you went through, uh, <laughs> I got a Band-Aid and a boo-boo. That was about it. <laughs> Could you uh, explain, you know, just the, the injury that you went through, and then we'll go into just injury uh, prevention. Yeah, so playing, um, you know, I had uh, I had your your normal, I guess there's nothing normal about it, but yeah. I had, you know, I had broken fingers, um, had a fractured ankle, um, you know, multiple high ankle sprains, meniscus, um, some shoulder, um, all those type of stuff. We've all had that torn UCL twice. Again, again, everybody that's listening, those are regular things that O-line goes through. Yeah. Regular, okay? <laughs> you know, play, playing with the big Don Joy brace uh, for the UCL, all that stuff I played with. But, but I'm a competitive powerlifter, and I got into powerlifting um, as a means to still keep the competitive juices going. Um, and I end up being pretty dang decent at it, um, after a while. Um, but, uh, in March of 2021, um, I suffered an unfortunate injury. It was my squat opener, um, 601 on the bar for me, um, that, that I've squatted that weight a hundred times, but on that particular day, when I was feeling great, 101 times was not in the books for me. Um, as we Say in football, there's only so many hits, there's so many bump cards, there's so many uh, things that that you can take before you know it goes, and that's what happened. I went down on my opening squat attempt of 601, and um, my big toe and my right foot dislocated and broke. I shifted to my left side and um, ruptured my patella tendon and quad tendon in the left knee and then ruptured the quad tendon in my right knee. It was horrific. Um, it sounded like uh, a gun went off. And I can remember going down and feeling that pain, that, that, that sound. And all I knew is I knew exactly what had happened at that point. And so I threw the weight off of me, caught myself kind of in a push-up position, and I immediately started to pray. Just said, hey, you know, I know what this is, but don't let me be paralyzed. Let me be able to move. Viewer discretion is advised. And I like people thought, and I can hear people saying, oh, I think, I think his back, I think it's his back. And then, you know, they say, oh, maybe the weight hit him but I was praying and, and I remember waking up, not really waking up, but I remember opening my eyes and I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to try to pick it. My I'm pick myself up and get up and walk. But again, I already knew what happened. I knew my patels were gone. And so I couldn't. And I remember people coming up to me and they said, are you okay? Did he knock you out? I go, Nope. It's both of my knees. Do you think you tore your ACL? I said, nope, it's patellas. They go, are you sure? Can you walk? I said, can't walk. I'm telling you, it's my patellas. So they rolled me over, and I'll never forget this. I got a picture of this. When they rolled me over and I set up, it was this weird calmness over me. It was like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders before then, that when I went down and everything snapped, it was like, all right, it's done.
And so they rolled me over and my business partner, Pat, was right there because he was actually taping the whole thing. That's where the video came from. He was five feet away from me taping. And he goes, dude, are you all right? I'm like, dude, it's my knees. I said, but the worst thing of it all is I could have, I could have shit my pants and I didn't. And he just, <laughs> everybody around us started laughing. But I mean, that's the old lining in this, man. And the silver like, lining. Hey, the silver lining. That's good. That's, that's one of those games that like, you're hoping you don't wear the white pants. You're hoping yep. you got like the dark pants on. So that's we've exactly, all been there. That's right, exactly dude? that's exactly where my mind went. And I told him, I said, there's no coming back from that. I said, because had I shit my pants right here on this platform <laughs> when I went down, I said, nobody would have talked about my horrific injury. They would have said, hey, do you remember when a dude went down with the weight and shit himself? <laughs> so <laughs> um, I was fortunate for that. Uh, <laughs> kept the people laughing. But um it was it was a tough time. It was a tough time. That injury um, was in surgery two or three days later, um, and it was a tough recovery. You know, telling tearing your patella tendon um, and quad tendon, and one knee is rough. Um, doing you know a bilateral surgery um, along with the toe. Um, had I been playing you. ball, it would they they knocked out everything at one time. Okay. So I had a really good surgeon, uh, Doctor Andrew Dold. Uh, really phenomenal. He's right here in Frisco, Texas. But, uh, you know, that injury, as I explain it to people, um, that happened when I was 35, so almost two years ago. Um, had I been playing, it would have ended my career. That would have been it. Like, there, at that age, 35, father time, with that type of injury, there's no way I'm stepping back on the field, probably. Um, I've seen that in people's career much younger, uh, let alone 35, but a year and a half later, um, after a lot of rehab, went down to bioaccelerator in Columbia for mesenchymal stem cells. Um, I highly recommend you guys do your research on the benefit of mesenchymal stem cells, but that has really changed my life. I'm going down there, really committing to the rehab process, really moving. Uh, Jaime, you know this because you did it with me um, every morning. I'm 60 minutes to 90 minutes, and I'm pushing the sled back and forth, back and forth. And um, it's kind of a non-negotiable, get the body moving. Um, and, and the reason being is that when I was in that wheelchair for three and a half, four months and straight leg braces, I couldn't move. I was really dependent on people to, to help me, but... Um, and there's, there's a lot of times where you end up reaching dark places during your rehab, you know, it's repetitive where your rehab, um, becomes repetitive every single day. And you, sometimes you have good days and then sometimes you have days where there's not so much setback, but you don't feel like you're making any progress. And I know a lot of players deal with that. And so the, the key thing is, is take it one day at a time, keep stacking those days, Keep trusting and believing. And another thing that I think that um, a lot of players need to do, a lot of athletes need to do, is when you get hurt, don't rely on somebody else to tell you about your injury. Start reading everything you can um, about your injury, about your recovery process, because it's all about the aggregation of information that sometimes will help you get over the hump. There's going to be protocols that your, your physical therapist and your ortho gives you, that may not work to a certain extent. Like it'll get you so far, but then you need to start looking at, all right, what about the people at my position or the people that are built like me 
what what did their protocols look like in terms of their particular PTs and orthos and uh, you know um, movement specialists? What did they have them do? Because a lot of times you have to throw the kitchen sink at these injuries to really come back and be back at baseline. And like I said, it can be lead you down a really really dark place. I had a great um, village around me, um, but I'm also a super positive and, and a, okay, what's next person? Uh, I've been through a lot in my life and people that have been around me know that I am no stranger to adversity. Um, you know, and the thing is, is like a lot of times um, when people think that you're getting buried, all right, in reality, you're only being planted. There's a difference. Buried, pretty much you're dead in the water. When you're being when you're being planted, you know, you're going to uproot and you're going to you're going to grow. So um, my really strong advice to everybody is when you're trying to rehab from injuries, take it one day at a time. All right. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Not one day. Don't feel sorry for yourself because just take it that one day. Be thankful for that one day and then keep stacking those days. And then again, be a student of your injury. Learn everything there is to know about your injury and your rehab and what you can do. Um, I'm fortunate enough where I had the resources to be able to spend some extra coin on doing some outside the box things, but there's a lot of things that just in daily lifestyle, like an anti-inflammatory diet. Yes. Um, you know, removing, uh, removing refined carbs, removing uh, sugars and sodas. And, you know, for our older players that are listening to this, removing any type of alcohol and things like that, being really um, a, a cl not so much a clean diet, but a truly anti-inflammatory diet with superfoods like avocado and, bromelain from pineapple and things of that nature, uh, grass-fed meats, all those things can help speed up the process and really reduce the chronic inflammation and systemic inflammation that allow these injuries to heal even quicker. I think that's a, that's a huge part of guys recovering and prolonging their careers. You know, everybody's going to have an injury at some point, whether it's, you know, a sprained ankle or a major surgery but you're going to have to go through a fair amount of rehab. And I think the part that gets left out is the mental side of it because Rough. we're all, we're part of a team. We're part of a group. We're part of the O-line. And it's like, we've all seen it, whether you've been a player and you've seen it, I've seen it as a coach and it's hard to create a environment that doesn't separate the hurt guy because at some point, they're going to be back in, but they don't really feel like they're a part of the group because you have the pack, the herd mentality, and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And all of a sudden, a guy goes down. Hey, we got to find the next guy. And Gerald, I know you probably had to deal with it and, and saw it. Duke, you've seen it. You've had to help guys along their career. But that's one thing. Like, if you're ever in that situation, like, you got to make sure guys don't get left, you know, left at a in the training room because yep. that's one of the rooms you don't want to spend a whole lot of time in. If you're, if you're healthy, you're going in, you're doing your prehab, you're going to do whatever you need to do, but it's like, you got to make sure that that guy's going to feel like he's a part of the group. And, you know, just to kind of wrap up the second quarter, you got anything quick trail just in your time with injuries and, and just the overall mental wellness of, of guys that have been hurt. Um, I would say when it comes to, um, when it comes to your injuries, it, it does feel like you're alone. Even yep. when you have a crew behind you, you're still the one that has to go to bed with that mm -hmm. injury. You know, uh, you have to wake up that next morning. 
uh, being mentally strong is something that I feel like every O-lineman uh, has heard. <laughs> every O-lineman has heard and every O-lineman uh, has written down on, you know, a notepad because they had some speaker come in. But it's something uh, that's a little different when you actually go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will yeah. say for, for all the people that um, for all the people that aren't in any of these injuries, use what you're hearing today. Uh, take all of these little pieces, the movement, the, the way that you, you know, you, you uh, diet, these, uh, these little pieces, you can use those in your today so that you don't end up being like us, the guys that might've had an injury, you know, God, God bless. If you're able to get through uh, your college, NFL, high school, whatever it be without an injury, but you have to take care of yourself, uh, take care of yourself and try to get yourself to be the best you can be when you're on the football field. Uh, even, you know, uh, from a walkthrough all the way to a game. So that's what I would say. Yeah. One thing I want to piggyback on, cause Jaime, you kind of mentioned it and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to object a little bit. You said that uh, a training room is not really uh, a place that you want to spend a lot of time in. I think that used to be the mentality, but I think that where sports medicine is now um, and some programs are like this and some aren't, but the prehab and spending that extra time doing the extra stuff, like the ankle mobility, um, even the feet, um, some of the contrast Mm -hmm. stuff, I think that I've seen is the guys that spend more time doing that stuff um, end up staying healthier or coming back from injuries. So I think that the mentality has shifted a little bit because now what we're doing is um, we've got, um, especially like at, at my facility at Sports Academy, we've got a whole PT clinic and training room, but we also have an entire recovery lounge that's kind of in one. And we highly encourage guys come up with a recovery protocol that you can do 15 to 20 minutes a day, um, whether that's hot and cold tubs, whether that's infrared sauna, whether that's blue green light, um, whether that's the normal text and the game readies, um, whether that's the uh, Elgin arch builder uh, for the big toe activation and all that type of stuff and building that arch. That way you've got the strong ankles, the strong toes, um, no plantar fasciitis and stuff like that. So I would actually encourage guys that even if you don't wait until you're hurt to start taking care of things, take care of your body. You only have one. I'll, I'll leave it at this. You got to think about it. Our body is a bank account. All right. And when we make, we always hear about making those daily deposits, you know, doing the good stuff for our body, eating correctly, training the, the proper way, taking care of our bodies. But here's the fact of the matter about our body being a bank account. All right. We will never be able to deposit enough into it, all right, that we're withdrawing. We're always going to withdraw way more out of our body than we're depositing into it in this game of football, all right? And at some point, at some point, all right, we're going to get that low balance alert. And at some point, we're going to be in the negative. And at that point, that's what we know that, you know, father time in that bank account, does you got to pay the piper and he doesn't take IOUs. So um, and when these situations, I'm a big fan of trying to make as many of those daily deposits in a positive manner. And that means the prehab, that means the, the lifestyle. Um, but then, you know, if you're unfortunate and you still get that injury, again, keep stacking those days because you're going to have to grow through what you go through. I know I did. 
And um, it's made me a better person, um, even as a business owner who's got my thumb on a lot of different things. Uh, and even still as a competitor, um, you know, I'm back to lifting and moving. But um, just because you get injured doesn't mean it's over. It's all about your mentality, you, which, you're, which you can control. There's a lot of things you can't control, but what you can control is how you choose to respond and then what you do next. And that's what the key point is here with some of those injuries. Yeah. One-to-one ratio, right? You're going to be in the weight room. You're going to be in the rehab facilities. Keep it a one-to-one ratio. You do an hour there, do an hour there. Uh, it, it should work best for you. Keep your body as, uh, as good and as strong as it possibly can be. Yeah. That's one of the things you hear from like guys like Lane, John, like Lane Johnson and Teron Armstead, two of my favorite guys, elite. Those guys play through and with a lot of injuries, but they're able to play through and with a lot of injuries and maintain an elite and high level performance because of what they do for their bodies when they're not injured, you know, what they're able to do in terms of mobility and soft tissue work and stem cells and um, sauna and what they're eating, what they're consuming, um, understanding proper uh, recovery uh, tactics is what allows them to continue to be elite, even with, some really, really devastating injuries. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's a great point for us. We went long on the second quarter, which is good. Sometimes you just got to grind it out. You don't need to throw the ball. We're going to grind it out, and we're going to go <laughs> three yards, three yards, four yards. We're good. We're going to grind out that second quarter. And, Duke, I think we'll hit halftime here. And then when we come back, talk in the third quarter, because you alluded to some of the greats in the game right now. Both Lane and Tehran are two of the premier players in the NFL right now. And I wanted to kind of talk about a little bit of that maybe in the third quarter and talk about your offensive line summit that you've helped create. So we're going to hit it on halftime here, and we'll see you guys in a little bit. Getting ready to kick off year five of O-Line Masterminds, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. By far our largest turnout. I feel like I'm saying that every single year. There's going to be a great weekend of O-Line fellowship, professional development, and most of all, just a great time. Glad that everybody came down to Frisco, Texas for this. It's time to get rolling. To me, playing offensive line is the most skilled position in football, bar none, without question. You have to be willing to break the will and the spirit of the guy against you. And and a lot of that starts with technique, and a lot of it's just finish. Involving in your technique, involving in your thinking, because every guy I think will be the same. Day one, O-Line Mastermind's in the books. It was an awesome day hearing from some great football players, some Hall of Famers on their ideologies on football and what it takes to play at a high level. Cool things we can learn and, and teach tomorrow. It's going to be an awesome time. You think about it after a few years, you know, I don't want to let the guy beside me down. I need to be in that lineup because I know they're dependent on me. I know the quarterback's dependent on me. I know how important it is for me to be on the field. To make it in this sport, it has to mean that much to you uh, when you show up, when you play, when you're coming for your team. Play for the team and everything else falls into place. Yeah, right, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. 
wrapped up the final day of O-Line Masterminds. We had Hall of Famers that contributed to the room on a different level that we haven't seen before. It was just an outstanding turnout, a great weekend of professional development. Thank you to our sponsors. Could not have done this without you. We'll see you guys next year. Hey, welcome back to the third quarter of, and with that being said, and this is a great segue as we talked about in the second quarter with Duke and how we have a lot that we want to say, things that we want to talk about, things that we want to be able to grow the game. And we talked about injury prevention, overcoming those things, uh, the training component, the diet, the prehab, all those things that go into it. And I think I was very blessed to be able to um, to attend Duke's fifth, is that right? Fifth annual uh, O-Line Mastermind Summit that he held in Frisco, Texas this year. I had just finished my USFL season. Um, I was ready to just go kick it on a beach somewhere. Um, and so I got a couple days of vacation with my family and then uh, took off. My wife just kept going with the kids and it was like, all right, you can go do your football thing. And went down and spent a couple of days with Duke in Frisco. And Duke, tell us a little bit about how O-Line Masterminds came about and what it is for those that have never been. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we'll start off by saying that O-Line Masterminds is the largest aggregation of NFL and college football talent in the world. Um, it's a summit in which we attack uh, myths and we approach and talk about all things offensive line, but we do it in a holistic approach um, from the ground up. We believe that you could train the body, you could train the mind, and you could train the craft, and there's a space for all three. So that's really the, 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 strong, the strong premise of why we do what we do with at O-Line Mastermind Summit and in, in our, our year-round program. But O-Line Masterminds came about back in 2017 or 18. I can't even, whatever five years ago was now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the NFL Top 100. And Lane was on the NFL Top 100. And he said, you know what? He goes, I feel like these D linemen, um, you know, I think they're going to have a summit this year. And, you know, maybe we need to all get in a room and figure out how to stop these guys. And I think Von Miller Summit was coming up that year. And I immediately got on the phone. I called Lane. I said, Lane, I said, you said that the D-line was having a summit this year. And maybe we need to all get in a room and figure out how to stop these guys. He said, yeah, man, I think we should do something like that. And I said, all right. I said, let's do it. He goes, all right. He goes, what are you thinking, next year? I said, no. At this point, this was probably April or May. I said, let's do it this, this summer. And he goes, this summer. I said, yep. He goes, all right. He goes, if you put everything together, he goes, I'll start working with guys on my end and get uh, other guys there. So I, at that point, I had about 15 or 20 guys training with me. And then Lane bought another, you know, seven, eight, nine guys. And so O-Line Masterminds was created. I essentially went around the entire star trying to see if people would like help us or host us. Um, you know, Sports Academy was not at the the location they were, were. Then that building was brand new and really nobody had occupied it. So essentially I rented the space um, to what is now Sports Academy. And we started off with 27 guys 
up in the classroom watching film, talking best practices. I bought in a film crew to tape it. We went, we went down and it was three days. We went down onto the field and kind of walk and talk through things. People shared notes, scouting reports on guys. Um, people showed each other techniques. And uh, from that 27, the next year we had around 48. And then year three, in the middle of a pandemic, we had like 90, which it had doubled. And then the next year, which was 2021, we had around 175. It was like we had outgrown the classroom. We were down on the turf to the kind of the production you see now. Then this year we exploded with almost 300 uh, players and coaches. And, um, you know, it was it was a, a surreal moment the last two years just to see the growth because um, I tell people all the time, we started with 27 guys up in that classroom down on the turf. But this is my thank you to the gang. Um, it again, I talked about in the first quarter how I understood my controllables, um, pre preparation, you know, and I touched on the three tenets of what my preparation was, and it's mind, body, and craft. And that's really what we try to approach, um, at online masterminds, especially this year, bringing in Hall of Famers like Willie Rowe and Steve Hutchinson and Willie Anderson and Mark Schlereth and then bringing in Olin Krutz, you know, Luis Vasquez, um, just all these guys with just this knowledge of the game and these experiences that even our guys who we had guys in that room that had multiple all pros, multiple Pro Bowls that are still currently playing in Super Bowl rings that got so much out of year five because it was something new. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to we're trying to raise and elevate the game um, through really what we believe success leaves clues. And we want to make sure that we don't forget the history of our position. Um, and we understand that even these greats, and I think, Heine, you can attest to this, what we saw with some of those greats that spoke was that they were forever evolving all the way up until their final snaps. And they, they understood and that, was, that was yeah, over man, with you. That was the thing. Like I went in there and as a coach, you're always trying to better the way you present your information or we're going to find a better scheme. And you look at it as a player standpoint and it might be, I'm going to tweak my stance or my eye you know, my eye discipline pre-snap, what I'm looking at. Are you looking at, you know, you talk about, am I looking at the knee of the three technique? Is that thing going to spike to me? You know, what are the first cues of who can, who can harm my gap, who can harm my area? And we all try to find different ways. And I just sat there, I was just typing on my phone the whole time and just finding nuggets from the greats and these guys that were just phenomenal at their game. I mean, they're freakish athletes. There's a reason those guys are at that level. They're talented. They have God-given ability, but also the staying power of a Willie Rofe, guys that played in the game and transitioned. Steve Hutchinson, you know, you look at the game's different from when, um, you know, Mark Schlereth played to now when you look at Creed Humphrey's game now, when you look at Ryan Jensen, but how the game evolves and then how you're going to take those things and coach it that much better and play that much better. Gerald, I know you kind of took – your experiences from different guys, from older vets, but to have everybody in one place, it was pretty awesome. Well, that's uh, you're you're definitely gonna have to have me there next year. I gotta. <laughs> yeah, be there. You got I the, mean, this sounds like a dream. I gotta go. You, 
You've got the invite, man. You got the invite. You're going to be responsible for getting Jaime back down. That's easy. I can do that. I'll drag him if I have to. <laughs> it won't be hard, man. It won't be hard. Yeah, you know, that's the thing, Jaime, is, uh, you know, we've tried to get you down, but you've had conflicts past couple of years. And same thing with Willie Anderson. Willie Anderson, after he said, I hate that I missed the previous four. He goes, this, he goes, this is, he goes, I had no idea it was like this. And the, and the reason being is because I have, I've put out some clips, but I haven't put a whole lot out. I haven't gave it, I haven't shown everybody how the sausage is made, so to speak. A lot of it is proprietary with some of these guys. So, um, but with that being said, we will have an app coming out soon that will encompass training, that will encompass skill work, and then that will kind of um, um, kind of aggregate all the five years worth of O-line masterminds. Like if you got a question about stance, you know, there's going to be five years worth of O-line mastermind content that will be built in along with some things that you can do for stance, um, to, to train the stand, to train the posture. So it's going to be a pretty high power app in terms of the availability, um, what it would mean for players and coaches. Well, that was a nugget drop in of, and with that being said, I appreciate yeah. you. It was perfect. Um, I was thick of that too. No, nah, man. Like, See, that's the deal. It's you got to have a group. We got three of us on here. We just need a couple, like we got the interior of the O-line handled. We need a couple dudes that are at least above six, three <laughs> that we can, that we can have something that resembles an offensive line. Cause we got some road graders in the middle and yep. we'll be able to direct the traffic, but that's the thing. It's, it's not just about what you say. It's about how, and yeah. you know, that the, and that's kind of the play on words with, and with that being said, like it's, it's getting the job done. Like if a kid gets recruited, okay, I'm going to make my announcement. And with that being said, I'm going to take my skills to this place, but it's like, you got to get it done. It's a result oriented business. And when you've got guys like that in one room and there's some of those things that, you know, like you said, sometimes you're not going to show those people that are watching clips. You, you're not, you're not privy to what's being talked about behind. Cause you may put out a 10 minute video or, Hey, here's a clip. Here's, here's a two minute nugget that this guy's talking or you're got a speaker. But like, I've gone to a lot of times the, the cool clinic, the coaches, the O-line coaches clinic uh, that's been put on for 20, 25 years. That thing's been going on forever. Um, shoot. It was, excuse me. It was a lot longer. I mean, this thing started like way back in Cincinnati back with, uh, with coaches that were in the NFL, I would say probably in the seventies and eighties and yep. telling stories. And it's all about taking something from somebody else. Like, like I've learned a ton from Gerald, who was my former player. I've learned plenty from you, Duke, from your standpoint of the training regiment and the schedule and just hearing things different from different people. And I wanted to roll into kind of our, our fourth quarter part of it and talking about how the game can evolve. And we kind of talk about our recruiting wrap up in the fourth quarter, whether you're a young buck that's just learning the game or all of a sudden maybe you're moving to offensive line and you were a, a different position player, or maybe you're a high school kid that's trying to find your next stop and getting recruited or a pro guy or a college guy that's ready to go to the pros and they're getting ready to get ready for the draft or being a free agent or, you know, something along those lines. And like Gerald, our experience when we're working with some younger kids, like we are doing training with 
some youth and middle school, but also high school kids and also some college guys that we've worked with. We see so much development, but guys are always thinking about how can I better myself? What's my next step and what's my next stop? I don't know, Gerald, do you have kind of a, a take on guys in recruiting and not maybe looking so far in the future and handling where you're at? I'll say uh, just jumping on what you're talking about, how we we go from, you know, the 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 not or 10, 11, 12 year old to us being with the 20, 22 year old guy. Uh, I, I would say the coolest part about it is after I've gone and talked to this older guy and a lot of the stuff that I'm saying to him kind of goes over the young kids heads. I go and, you know, get back to the fundamentals with the young kids. When you see the older guy kind of look over and he's watching what's going on and you see that he's actually picking up and he's like, wow, I didn't see it that way when I was younger. Now I might be able to take that. I'm still going to use what the, the knowledge is getting thrown out there. I'm going to use it to my benefit. That's always cool. And I, I, I'm excited about that, um, that whole aspect. That's why it's so much fun uh, with our range and our age. Um, going back to talking about the, uh, talking about how recruiting is. Uh, we kind of harped on it last uh, in our last segments that we, uh, we had about just the mentality of the game, right? Um, you you got to be able to understand that sure, Sure, you might uh, you might find yourself in a hole uh, when it comes to oh, I'm not the six five, three hundred and thirty pound guy. That, that that's a hole that you might not be able to dig yourself out of. But the understanding of the game and understanding about exactly what's going on out there on the field that's going to put you a step higher than what you think. Okay, um, there's a lot of talent out there that gets wasted. Uh, don't be that talent. Be the guy that takes what he has. And he, he, he molds that, makes it into the finest wine he possibly can have. And uh, he just moves forward with what he has. Uh, you guys both being a part of the, the, the opening, the only thing that uh, the, the opening I, I have never really liked is that five-second uh, display of talent. And when I talk about that for the guys that don't understand what I'm saying is uh, it's one-on-ones. Um, when, when they have the the really big guy come in and uh, there are no pads. He comes in, grabs a hold of the D line and throws him to the ground. And people are like, Oh, that was amazing. I don't see it. I, I see it as the guy that uh, he's been working through the whole camp. He's been working on his craft the whole time. And you can see that he's not only, you know, preparing himself for the next season, but he's getting better in his snaps, he's getting better in every single snap he takes. That's the guy that I'm like, now, now he might have something for us. Definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, and again, as me and Jaime kind of alluded to, those were kind of the guys that, yeah, we had four-star, we had five-star guys, but um, we would look at some of these undersized guys, some of these guys that even on tape, they just weren't getting beat. And a lot of times we'll bring those kids to camp and they did really, really well for us. I mean, even at the opening finals, you know, you know, you had your Evan Neals, you had your Kayvon Thibodeaux, um, you know, but at the end of the day, there's some guys that are even playing college right now, your Walker Parks and, and, and guys like that, that may not have the fanfare that some of these other guys did, but they were right there. They got better every single rep. They were coachable. They were willing. 
And I think that's important. Um, one of the big things that I always try to give the advice to not only players, but then coaches in terms of development. Development is never linear, first of all, and get, development is never guaranteed. But I think a lot of times as coaches, recruiters, and even sometimes players, we harp on what players can't do. Let's talk about what they can do. Let's talk about what makes them unique. Let's talk about what makes them special. And then once we identify areas for improvement, let's take what makes them unique and special and let's uproot that and then kind of plug it in and try to tailor make it to them to what they may not be too good at. Because what that's going to allow that player to do is be able to take some skills or some traits that he already has, plug it into an area that may be lacking, but he's going to be able to replicate it because, yes, it's going to be something learned, but it's going to be something that he's familiar with, you know? And so I think that's important um, in terms of not trying to typecast a, a player. You can't put every player in a box. You got to kind of be, um, be weary of doing that. You got to make sure that you're identifying what makes these guys special, what makes them unique, what are the techniques, what are the, the traits that are, that are, that they're winning with. And can those translate into an, another area of their game that they can replicate down in and down out so that they may be able to replicate success. So I think that's important when a player self-scouting himself, trying to get better in the offseason, or if a coach is even questioning, like, how do I get this player better? What can the player do? And let's build off of that. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, uh, as we talked about, we kind of see eye to eye. And when you see a kid make a correction, like you'll, you, whether it was doing a, an opening camp or, you working with a guy maybe for draft prep and you might see something, Gerald, you're working with a young kid or all of a sudden there's no background and you grab, you grab the, the athlete and you give them a suggestion and you maybe say it a different way than maybe his coach did. And then they try it and they have success. Like that's the reason we do what we do because you want to see those guys be successful. And it may translate immediately right into that next rep or it may be something that shows up the next week in film, or it may be something that prolong, helps prolong their career um, because you're dealing with everybody learns different. Not everybody can do the technique maybe that you're trying to explain. Hey, coach, now I, I kind of like taking a jab step before I pull. Well, you know, it kind of is wasted time. And then you see a guy take a jab step and he's gone and he's two steps in front of the guy that's doing it. The right, the right way, way that's in your coach's <laughs> clinic. Oh, yeah, the like, right way. Oh. Dude, and like, what, what, what that there. creates, what that creates too, and this can be a whole nother uh, conversation that we'll have to come back to in another episode though, but what that creates, and then it creates a toxic uh, back and forth with the coach because right. now the coach, like you have to admit that you're wrong. Oh yeah. You have to admit right. that there's another way to do it. Right. And what ends up happening is, don't you question me, you know? Right. And that, so it just, it's like, man, uh, there's so much free information out now. There's so many different ways to do it. And I know there's a person that we know that if it wasn't his way, oh, oh man, you, you were mud, you would get drugged. And the fact of the matter is, is that's great when you're trying to sell something, but when you really are into the business of getting people better and, you know, helping people realize their potential, 
it's not about my way. It's about the way that you can replicate and you can get the job done. Exactly. Like, I mean, from the get go, you got to build confidence in your players. You got to build confidence within your unit. And, you know, as, as I just wanted to kind of focus on maybe this time of year, as the bowl games are finishing up, you're kind of finishing up the regular season of the NFL guys are getting ready for that you're going to be working with getting ready for draft prep for pro days for yep. their individual workouts and it's so specific um now that it is so cutthroat it is so competitive you have to be looking at every every single thing not just what's on your film but interview prep scheme evaluation can you get on the board and talk about a scheme you that may not be in a kid's comfort level coming out of college because all he did he had a one-word term that told him either man or slide and now he's got to hear and be able to regurgitate on the board to a coach and not look like he's completely lost duke so i wanted i wanted to give you kind of the final chance in the fourth quarter talking about not just the the youth and the high school and the college guys, but how it all translates to the pros and how your prep can get those guys ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say before we even run a 40 and um, sometimes do skill work, we try to get these guys in a classroom and on the board and speaking the language, so to speak. And that's something that we introduce within the first couple of days of the program. And it's something that we do multiple times a week because I want to get these guys comfortable with um, presenting. And so how I, um, our first initial conversation that I have with my group every year is, hey, you guys are a startup company looking for investors, all right? You guys have a product that's proven already. We know it, that's your tape. You've got a great, um, you got a great launch way in terms of marketing, all right? You're gonna continue to develop this product but now over the next three months, we're going door to door to make sure we check every box and you know, make sure no stone is unturned to say, all right, here is my company, all right? Which is me, you're the company, you're the brand, all right? Here is how I'm gonna change your life for the better. This is why you should invest in me. And that starts with the all-star games. It first starts with your tape. Your tape puts you in contention to even be in the conversation, be in the room to, to for them to invest in you. And then it starts with looking a little better when you show up to those all-star games. And then from the all-star games, you want to look even better when you show up to the NFL combine. And then from the NFL combine, you want to look just a touch better when you show up to your pro day. And then from your pro day, you want to look a touch better when you show up to your private workout. And then when you show up to that rookie minicamp, you want to look even better, all right? So we understand that the combine, these all-star games, these uh, workouts, these pro days, that is not the destination. They're just uh, stops along the way on the journey. At the end of the day, our destination is not even being drafted. Our destination is to make a team all right, and be the best football player, best offensive lineman we could be. Now, along the way, we check every single box because within our program, again, we're getting these guys ready for the board. We're getting these guys ready for interviews. We're getting these guys ready to blow the combine out the water. I think everybody talks about um, our program in essence on how well we do with transitioning. We call it a rookie transition program. Uh, these guys going in as rookies and playing really well, but 
we also dominate the combine every year too. So it's kind of a, it's a cool thing. Our package and our process that we put together um, is top notch. And we've had great success over the last five or six years with uh, our rookie transition program. And we're checking every single box, all-star games, combine, pro day, rookie mini camp, private workouts. And then having guys that like Rashawn Slater be an all pro as a rookie. Creed Humphrey's been pro bowl, all pro. You know, and that just matriculates all the way into the rest of the season. And that's what it's all about. It's setting these guys up and understanding that this eight to 10 weeks is going to be life changing, not just to prepare you for the draft, but to transition you to be able to realize your potential for 18, 19 and 20 weeks after that. And that's the thing that I'm excited to be headed down to Texas here pretty soon. We start our training camp um, shortly in the XFL. We'll be in Arlington. Um, all the teams are going to be down there. And if I can ever sneak away, uh, I'm going to come over and, and pick your brain and get with your staff and the guys that you work with. Because I know that the guys that I'll be coaching in the XFL, they have already kind of had their, a lot of them have been in NFL camps and they have maybe one thing that they are deficient in or they got to work on. They just need more snaps. Maybe they moved positions, they had injuries. And Gerald, like in our experience with the XFL, it was, uh, it was really starting to trend the right way before COVID hit. And then all of a sudden now it's shut down to give guys another option to continue to play. Because like you said, your film is just a small part of it. It's the film is only going to give you a foot in the door. And are you going to be a guy that kind of peeks in and says, Hey, what do I do? Or are you going to kick that door down and say, I'm here to stay. Yep. And whether it's a rookie that's getting ready to get drafted or undrafted free agent, to just get their opportunity to come play or a guy that maybe has had a couple of years that needs to recoup and recover and get back and resurge a, a career, then I'm excited to be down and see what you guys are doing. And there's training going on with Gerald here in Colorado. There's training going on in California. And then I think as hopefully time sees fit, there might be a little bit more five is one training going on in Texas and you and I have done some things in the past with the Nike opening. I know there's plans maybe when you have a free weekend or a day here and there, because it's go time yep. for your guys for draft prep. But with the group that runs the Nike opening, I know you did the final five camps a couple of years ago, kind of even during COVID, yep. right? Yeah, we did. Uh, we've done the final fives the last couple of years. And uh, really the, the cool thing about the final five is it is, it's even a more, it's in the mode of online masterminds in terms of the classroom, the film, um, the on field, but it's even more. I, to be honest, this model of the final five is um, even a step above online masterminds because it's, it's full on coaching. You know, it's full on drill work. It's full on. Let's evaluate and how to get you better versus online masterminds is kind of a walk and talk show technique. Um, and more of the mental side with the final five, we hit all three mind, body, and crab. We're in the weight room. All right. We're getting training in. All right. Then we're down on the field and we're going hard for about four sessions in, in two days. And then we're in the classroom, we're building character and, uh, we're talking recruiting. We're having a lot of these conversations. Um, so, um, you guys stay tuned out there for you high school kids, uh, and even probably some middle school uh, we'll get into the mix for some of those final five academies coming up April, May, and probably early June. 
Yeah, this this thing's going to kick off, and it's it's been fun to to kind of pick each other's brains on this deal, Duke. And and uh, you know, and with that being said, I think we've got the youth excited about playing offensive line. There's a lot of kids who are soaking up a lot of information to be able to help them transition and grow in the game because you just see those big strides from those young bucks when they hear it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it exciting to work with guys like Gerald, uh, who's been there, who I was able to coach. And I just step back and see him work with kids and they're soaking it up like a sponge. And so I'm excited to get back down to Texas, get this thing going. And uh, Gerald, you got any kind of parting questions or anything for Duke as, as maybe you consider a comeback or anything like that? Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll say this. Uh, I I am excited um, for one, that we were able to have this uh, talk, that we were able to sit down, uh, pick your brain about all this stuff. You said it before, you can't take it back. He was like, we're going to have to do this in another session. That's going to have to happen. We got to sit back down. There's so much to talk about. And um, just with the knowledge that you have, uh, the understanding of the game, uh, those are things that I, from this uh, talk that we've we've been able to, to go through. I, I've picked a lot of pieces that, that I know that I'm going to be trying to uh, install not only in myself, but install into the next generation um, of O-linemen. So when you guys uh, do have all of your camps and all the stuff, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some of the five as one young bucks rolling through there, which is uh, exactly what we want. Uh, that would probably be the last thing. I, I, I would say, um, I'll say this uh, to be my, my parting uh, question. If you were to tell a young guy, um, if you were to tell a young guy the one skill that they need to work on, though it be on the field or off the field, what would that skill be? I'll give you one off the field and one on the field. That sounds great. The first on the field is the, the most important skill that an offensive lineman can have is his stance. That needs to be worked on every single day. It needs to be crafted. You need to be able to do everything out of a two-point and three-point stance. Like, um, I think that for perspective, and I bring this up to guys all the time, I said, if your stance is different from a two-point and a three-point, or if your stance is different every play, how do you know where your footwork is going to end up? Like, how do you know? How do you know where your hips are going to end up? How do you know how the set is going to be? If your feet are different in your stance every day, how? Please tell me how. And they start thinking. And they can't, they can't answer. You got to find real balance. Stance is the most important skill. And then the most important skill off the field is probably communication. I would say learn how to be a communicator, um, effective and positive communication in terms of really engaging in conversation, really asking questions, not in a condescending way but really being curious to understand instead of respond. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I have seen, especially um, as guys rise up through the ranks, um, they're not asked to communicate much. Everybody's doing it for them. And so I think that if you can develop communication and interpersonal skills, it'll take you a long ways. And if your communication and interpersonal skills are developed and it tends to scare people or intimidate people, then you should probably get away from those people because our, those are the people that are probably trying to take advantage of you. Definitely. And with that being said, I think that is a perfect segue to kind of wrap up the fourth quarter, Duke, because if you can't communicate 
with your line mates or with your coach or with the defense or with your trainer or with your doctor, whoever you're dealing with, or, you know, your, your wife, your, your girlfriend, your kids, you know, your parents, you're going to struggle. So communication is key. So Duke, I, I think it's awesome that you've already booked your, your second appearance on hey, yes. with that being said. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll take some time. We we've got some, some guests out there, some, some players, some coaches, some other people that have affected the offensive line world, um, have affected us in a positive way, just to give people a, a, a nugget, something that maybe they could take from one of these podcasts, from one of these training sessions and to reach out and communicate with you. Like we've got people that reached out on our last podcast that have some questions that will kind of hit in overtime here, but Duke, it's an honor to have you on, man. I appreciate you taking some time with us and, and visiting and, and catching up and uh, dude, I wish you all the best and look forward to seeing you down in Texas when, uh, when we get this thing kicked off here in a couple of weeks at the XFL. No problem. I'll have a masterminds IPA waiting for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. You Thanks too. brother. Hey, guys, we wanted to hit you on overtime. We had a, a pretty competitive first four quarters with Gerald and Duke. Yeah. We had some good conversations yeah, we did. Uh, about the game. And it was really cool that on our last podcast, we reached out and said, hey, will you guys communicate with us? Tell us what you want. And on YouTube, we had a couple comments. We had somebody reach out. And Gerald, you want to you get into some of the readers uh, or some of the listeners and viewers kind of views and stuff that we want to talk about. We want to do a little feedback here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they're asking about the, uh, the XFL's rules and guidelines for uh, safety protocol. So um, we, we can jump into that. I, I would say probably the, the one that I thought was different, but I felt like it was a really good tool was the way that we did our kickoff. Uh, the way that we set up our kickoff, if you guys weren't watching and tuning in uh, back in 2020, the way that we had it was um, instead of having it so the guys would run from uh, our kickoff yard line, which if I can't remember where uh, where that starts, 35. You're an old lineman. You're not going to know where the yeah, well, kickoff is. Bro. Yeah, well, you're just <laughs> like, is it a touchback or did he house call it? And we're now kicking did, an extra point. Did they go all the way to the other, uh, to the other <laughs> side of the field? So I don't have to do all the stuff on the field. Yeah. All right. Let me go and get the extra. Hey, point. hey, by the way, wasn't that the greatest when like there was a kickoff return house call and you just look over and you're like, man, that was a great drive. Guys, just, hey, great drive offense. We're really, we're really jelly. We, we are really figuring it out. Definitely. If it was the first uh, seven or six points, and you're all like, yeah, no, we got this today. Yeah, we're, we're crushing them, boys. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, the difference was is that you were lining up, uh, I, I believe it was 10 yards away from each other after the ball or five yards away from each other after the ball uh, goes over the head and hits the, the um, receiver. Then they would start the two lines, and then you would play from there. Uh, just saves a lot for the, the con uh, concussion protocol. We've seen it uh, go throughout the league. Uh, all the guys that have been going through all their injuries and things like that. Whenever you're able to keep people safe, I think that that's uh, important. And that was one of the things that the XFL did well. Yeah, I think it's going to continue. So the guy that really started it, so our our, our 
listener was was Rangers King six six nine. Appreciate the question, brother. Um, but Sam Schwartzstein, he was a part of the league in twenty twenty. Um, he actually was an offensive lineman, played at Stanford for Andrew Luck. And Oliver Luck was our commissioner last time around. And so Sam did a great job and helped really try to look at the safety of the game. And so the question was, how do you make it safer? And I think the kickoff, I think that thing, once people see the kickoff and how it can really save the the running, the 50-yard running hits and the collisions, but you still get a true kickoff to start the game. Um, I think that was one. In the XFL this year, we're going to have like a week-long acclimatization period like you have a basically a week almost like a mini camp but there's no pads there's no practice it's in the weight room it's it's guys in the in the training room it's doing walkthroughs so I think we're trying to understand that our schedule is different in the XFL than it was maybe when you have the traditional fall buildup where some guys may be coming off an NFL practice squad and they haven't been really training getting ready for a camp and so I think that's going to be helpful for us, Gerald, just thinking about really 2.0 XFL, and they're going to carry a lot of those rule differences into uh, into this third iteration in the XFL. I think the thing that people are going to want to see in the XFL, and we were so close in our last game, is over is overtime. And since oh we are in God, yes. overtime, this yes, is our overtime. Completely of, right. And with that being said, you will never get a tie in the XFL that – um, not only are you not kicking extra points, you get to go for one, two, or three after a score. We'll talk about that another time. But overtime is like a shootout. And I know everybody was fired up and they watched a little bit of World Cup the last couple of weeks with, with that going on. But we have a shootout style, um, shoot, uh, soccer style shootout in the XFL overtime that each team will get a play from the five-yard line. And so you better have a pretty good red zone package that it's, one team goes, the other team goes, offense, defense, back and forth. And do you match them? If they score, you got to match. So it's kind of a best of, I think it's best of five is what we're going to do in the XFL. But we played the LA team when we were in Tampa and we were going down to tie it. And uh, unfortunately, the other, t- uh, you know, those dudes came up with a pick to, to finish the game, but we yeah. were going in, we were going to tie it. The league was all fired up about the possibility of overtime. But I think that's one of the things people are fired up about watching the league. Yeah, it should be uh it should be exciting. I mean, I know they had all the guys. We were all really jazzed about the whole thing. We're like, okay, this is gonna be like something that we've never done in our whole lives. And uh yeah, to the shootout uh aspect, I think that's what's gonna make it even more fun. You know, you get to okay, if we do this, we're gonna win. If they do this, they're gonna win. Who knows exactly what's gonna happen? Uh so I, I am excited uh to see what what happens with all that. I believe that it's gonna be uh again safer for the guys but it's going to be exciting it's going to be really exciting to be able to be a guy that uh watches um that watches his old coach go out there and win a game in the last couple seconds <laughs> no doubt it's going to be exciting man well uh overtime is is definitely a great time to to hit our uh our viewers our followers any questions you guys hit us up um on the uh on the website fiveis1.com Hit us on the uh, comments on the podcast, and we're we're really excited about where this thing's going. I think episode two was was a lot smoother. I mean, Gerald Dude, came with a little bit cooler. better backdrop. I got a backdrop. Look, I got I got XFL on one. I got Nebraska on the other. What, what else? I see some. I got 
I got I got other stuff. Don't worry I see, about it. I see some other stuff over there too. <laughs> and hey, and with that being said, we might need to shut this one down and we'll see you guys at the next episode. Appreciate it. Let's see you guys.